hell. Amen. I am thrilled to be here tonight, not preaching, but listening to all this good singing. This morning, I couldn't hardly contain myself. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord moved in on both of those uh, special we had this morning and then the message from about Mark. Thank you, Brother Matt. I dread preaching after Brother Matt. Mm, mm, mm. I need prayer tonight. Brother, Brother Josh called at 3 o'clock this afternoon. And he said, Brother Mike, I wanted to preach tonight. I said, I know you did, and I want you to. But he said, he said, you know what I'm going to say? And I said, I'm, I'm afraid I know what you're going to say. But he said, I need you to preach. Can you do it? And I told the Lord a few weeks ago, I said, if I preach again at Calvary, mm, this is the message that I will preach. And so I didn't know it was going to come this soon. But take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Mark. I'm glad you had a wonderful sermon this morning. That's the only wonderful sermon you're going to get today. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. But, the, but the, this, this extra specials, I'll tell you what, that was of the Lord, wasn't it? That blesses my soul. It's wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your singers practicing. All you uh, leaders that's been helping them, Brother Jonathan, Brother Lyson, Brother Phil, wow, it's working. It's working. Worship is working at Calvary, and I love it. Amen. Are you in Mark chapter 9? I'm going to tell you a story, a true story that happened several years ago, then we're going to get into the text. Several years ago when Kay and I were helping a church in Georgia, well, there was a church that invited us to a Bible conference, and there was going to be a lot of preachers there, and I was just, well, just going to go and listen and learn, you know, and be in fellowship. And so you know how preachers are when a lot of preachers are there. These preachers try to get up and out-preach one another and stuff, you know. And so this young preacher got up, and he was going to preach on the subject of hell. And this is what he said. I've written it down in my notes so I wouldn't forget it. He said, if you are not a hellfire and damnation preacher, then you have not been called by the Lord. And he didn't just say that once. He said it over and over and over again in his sermon. If you're not a hellfire and damnation preacher, then you have not been called by the Lord. Well, let me ask you a question. How many times would you have to preach on hell to be a hellfire and damnation preacher? One, once, I don't, you know, I, I, I say, I say, you know, I don't know very many hellfire and damnation preachers anymore. I, you just don't. That's not their subject anymore. And so this is a tough subject tonight in Mark chapter 9, but when he said that, he didn't realize, and I didn't challenge him on that, but he didn't realize that I've been studying the Apostle Paul for a long, long time. Did you know that the Apostle Paul, it's not recorded where he ever preached on the subject of hell? Not even one time. I'll go even further than that. You, you Bible scholars will check me out. Because some of y'all believe that this is true. If you're not a hellfire and damnation preacher, then you're not called by the Lord. I know there's probably some that believe that. Did you know that in the 14 books of the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote, inspired by the Lord, he never mentioned the word hell, not even one time? Not one time. In the New Testament, the hell is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, of course, Jesus said it all there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, in Acts, in James, in 2 Peter, and Revelation. That's it. That's it. Well, why didn't you say, preacher, why didn't, why didn't Paul preach on hell? I don't know. We'll ask him when we get to heaven. That's between him and the Lord. Amen. You know he was a God-called preacher, a spirit-filled man, but that just wasn't a subject that the Lord had him to hone in on. 
And then in his writings, you'd think, well, he, you know, he wrote about condemnation, he wrote about judgment, but not one time did he ever mention in an inspired text the place called hell. But I want us to look at tonight a message I'm going to preach, why Jesus preached about hell. Why Jesus preached about hell. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark. Mark chapter 9. I'll have you just stand, verse number 42. Mark 9, 42. Some of you folks have been here since 4 o'clock. So I would understand if you nod a little bit while I'm preaching, okay? But you've been here a long time, so uh, maybe I won't keep you that long tonight. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Our Father... These solemn words of my Lord, they've arrested us many times. We read them and meditated on them, Lord, and preach about them tonight. Lord, we, we need the prayers of God's people. I've, I've prepared, but dear Lord, we need, we need you to prepare us tonight with your filling of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. In these verses, Jesus Christ was given a solemn warning about that place, that awful place called hell. And you know... I grew, up in an, I grew up in an unsaved home, so you can just imagine what my life was like. We used hell a lot in our home, but not from a Bible standpoint. And so I'm not being ugly, I'm just, I'm just being honest. But throughout the ages, people have poked fun at hell and made jokes about fun. But folks, hell is definitely no joking place. Amen? It is no joking. Jesus came from heaven to earth to warn us about this awful place called hell. Why? He created it. Not for mankind but for the devil and his angels. But Jesus taught on the doctrine of hell. Uh, most of what we know about hell from the Bible, it came from the lips of our Lord. Uh, we learn from the preaching and teaching of the Lord. He preached on hell almost twice as much as he preached on heaven. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. Jesus warned us about the doctrines of hell. He taught about that. And then he warned us about the dangers of hell. Jesus was such a powerful preacher, folks, that if his sermons were in print today, the liberal news media would call them hate literature. But I got news for them. His sermons are in print today. We're reading one. His sermons are in print today. And I'll tell you, folks, they are not hate literature. They are love literature. The reason why he warned people about that solemn place called hell is because he had prepared it for the devil and his angels. And he, it, it breaks God's heart when sinners go to hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So for a person to close their eyes to the subject of hell uh, and refuse to believe what Jesus said about it, it's, to, it's described as a place called hell, that is a dangerous place to be for a person just to reject the teachings of the Word of God. Many years ago, Audie Murphy, uh, one of my favorite uh, Western guys, but anyway, Audie Murphy, would, before he was a Western star, he was a decorated World War II hero. The, I think maybe the most decorated World War hero. Uh, and, and so he wrote a book entitled To Hell and Back. They made it into a movie. But anyway, Murphy had a hard time with war. He likened war to hell. 
And so he told about seeing the bloodshed and the mangled bodies and all that goes along with the, the terrible things of warfare and death. And he first saw firsthand the battlefields and the horrors of war. And so coming back from war, he wrote in his book, he likened that to coming back from hell. And so, folks, war many times may seem like hell to soldier, but I guarantee you, compared to hell, Jesus described that is not a comparison at all. Jesus warned us, no matter how you approach the subject of hell, hell is a terrible place. I don't know how to preach it any other way than the way it is in the Bible. Hell is a place of eternal torment and pain. Think about this unquenchable fire. How many of you have ever been burned really bad? Raise your hand. Man, those, those burns, I can still remember putting my hand on a muffler. I was washing cars in a car lot, and I put my hand on a muffler to start the uh, motor again on that, uh, that thing. Oh, I scalded my hand terribly. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible burn. I don't like doctors, so I didn't go to the doctor, went home and put my hand in a bucket of ice and left it there for hours and hours and hours. That was the best thing I could have done. You know what my mama would have done? She would have put butter on it. They just set it on fire. That's what mama did when I was growing up. But it's better to put it in ice water. Take it from somebody who knows. But hell is a, hell is a place of eternal torment and pain, torment and pain, unquenchable fire. I cannot imagine that. Imagine a burn just continually burning and burning and burning. Young people think about that burning forever and ever and ever. Adults think about that burning forever and ever. Hell is a place of terrible memories and horrible thirst. The rich man said, Lazarus, May come send Lazarus, he may dip the tip of his finger, the tip of his finger, just the tip of it. I just want one drop to cool my blasphemous tongue. Just one drop is all I need, but not even one drop of water in hell. Can somebody get us a little bit of air going? It's stuffy in here, and it's hot up here. Amen. I'm preaching on hell, but it's hot up here. Hell is a place of eternal separation from Almighty God. Hell is a place, like I said, prepared for the devil and his angels, but also for all those who reject Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. God, it breaks God's heart. God is not willing for people to go to hell, but because they choose not to, to accept Christ as Savior, they buy their own ticket into that place called hell. But why did Jesus preach about hell? Number, one, I've got three points. Number one, because hell is an existing place. Hell is real. Hell exists. In verse 42 and 43, and whosoever, these are the words of the Lord Jesus, and whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Our Lord Jesus taught very plainly that there is a, hell, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Think about it tonight, folks. His solemn repeated messages on hell and the subject of hell, he warned people of the future judgment of those that would be damned and lost forever and forever and forever and forever. Old Testament, I didn't give you that many in the Old Testament, but I'll give you a few tonight. Old Testament writers wrote about hell. I have them in my notes. You won't have to turn there. Moses wrote about hell in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 22. In reference to God's anger, this is what Moses said. For a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. The lowest hell? Is there layers? I don't know. To the lowest hell. To the bottom most, maybe the hottest place called hell. Job wrote about it in Job 11 and verse 8. The wisdom of God is deeper than hell. I'm glad it is, aren't you? I'm glad. I'm glad we have a merciful God. 
David wrote about hell in Psalm 18, verse 5. The sorrows of hell compassed me. When Saul was chasing him for that year or however long it was, he was running, and they said there's not a step between me and death. But the sorrows of hell, he, he knew he wasn't going to go to hell, but the sorrows of hell, maybe he compared war to hell like Audie Murphy. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. Isaiah wrote about it in Isaiah 28, 15. The wicked have made an agreement with hell. Now, folks, I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm a preacher, former pastor, but I'm not a scholar. But I read these words and I think, man, we need somebody to dig out the, dig out the deep nuggets and truth of God's word. The wicked have made an agreement with hell. I've witnessed the people who just seemed like they were in a hurry to go to hell. I've witnessed the old men and young men. I've witnessed the people who just, you know, I think it's all a front when they say, I'm going to go to hell and have a party with all my buddies. If you, even if you go there, you won't see your buddies in the outer darkness. People make fun about hell and they say, I'm going to go. But I'll tell you, on their deathbed, they change their mind. Not many people want to go to hell from a deathbed. But hell is an existing place. And Jesus, uh, see Jonah wrote about it in Jonah verse 2, chapter 2 verse 2, Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. I guess he thought that was like hell, didn't he? The, 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 the mountain compassed him apart. Can you imagine what an awful time it would be to be in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights? Of course, a picture of Jesus being in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. But I'll tell you, when he got out of that uh, whale's, start to say bale's whale, whale's belly, he hit the road, didn't he, to uh, Nineveh. Yeah. Can you imagine all his, all his skin would be bleached, completely white. There'd be no hair on his body. When he walked into town, he didn't, all, he, all, he, all he said was, God's going to destroy this, this town in 40 days. That was his message. Yeah. That was his message. God is going to destroy this place in 40 days. And the whole town turned to God. The whole town, from the king, he put sackcloth on the animals. The whole city turned to God because of one backslidden preacher who had run from God. Amen. There was revival there in spite of the preacher, wasn't there? Amen? Amen? So, but hell is an existing place. And then number two, hell is an enlarged place. Let me read this to you. Isaiah 5, verse 14. The Bible says, and there's a phrase in there. Well, I'm going to read the whole verse. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp. And he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Folks, what an unusual verse of Scripture. Hell, therefore hell hath enlarged herself. Does that mean that hell is growing? Sounds like it. Does that mean that, that hell continues to spread out? Does that mean that hell is swelling? Hell hath enlarged herself. Today it seems like people unknowingly or even unwittingly or just ungodly seem to be in a hurry to go to hell. But folks, hell hath enlarged herself. I read this recently. This is a recent statistic. A new study shows that one half of Americans cannot definitely say that there is a God. One half of Americans? That's, that's about 175 million people living in, in these states that not sure if there's a God or not. Where is their soul in the balance as far as salvation is concerned? Think about that, folks. Of the 8 billion people that are in the world today, I wonder how many will wind up in hell. I am not a judge. You're not looking at a judge tonight, but we're looking to the judge tonight. And Jesus said this, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there will be which will go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and what? 
few there be that find it. Like I said, I'm not a scholar, but I think that means that many are lost and few are saved. That's just a paraphrase, but I think that's what that means. Many are lost and few are saved. No wonder Jesus preached about hell. No wonder that his great heart went out to sinners, young and old, rich and poor. Rich man, poor man, beggar, thief, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. He wanted them all to be saved. Why? Because he knew that burning hell was waiting for those who didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. During a time of war, a new group of soldiers settled into their barracks. A few days later, an ecumenical uh, chaplain, you soldiers, hey, veterans, thank you for your service. Amen? Amen. But you soldiers will identify this. A few days later, an ecumenical chaplain came in and gave them a religious speech. After speaking, the chaplain asked if there were any questions. One young soldier stood at his feet and he said, Chaplain, he said, I have a question. He said, yes, sir. He said, what's your question, young man? He said, do you believe in hell? It took that chaplain by surprise. and He said, young man, I've been a chaplain for many, many years and that's the strangest question I've ever been asked. Why do you ask that question? And he said, sir, he said, because we're all heading into battle and many of us are going to die. And so if there's a hell, you need to tell us about it. But if there's no hell, we don't need you. No wonder Jesus preached about hell. No wonder... His great heart went out to those who, I mean, he had, he had the advantage. I'm glad I don't have this advantage. Jesus could look into the heart of every lost sinner and know if they're lost. I can't do that. I can't look at somebody until they're saved. I can't look at somebody until they're lost. I can be a fruit inspector, but I might inspect them wrong. I might have the wrong opinion, but not the Lord Jesus. If there's no hell, then we won't need you, the young soldier said. Wow, he was right. He was right. He was right. Folks, hell is an existing place. Hell is an enlarged place, according to the Word of God in Isaiah. And then number three, hell is an everlasting place. Let's go over our text one more time, Mark chapter 9, verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. Folks, there's nothing sweeter than a child, the innocence of a child. And when children in this, get, in this church get saved or anywhere, and the children are saved, and they just, they just love the Lord. They don't know all the books of the Bible yet. They don't, know, they don't know doctrine. But I'll tell you, they can pray some of the prettiest prayers. Amen? I mean, the innocence of a child is wonderful. Listen to this warning. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter the life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. Think about that, folks. Think about that. As my eyes are watering, I'm thinking about that eye. Think about that. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where the worm dieth not and the, and the fire is not quenched. Think about that, folks. The word offend there in verse number 42, whosoever shall offend, that word means to constantly cause someone to stumble. 
offend, to constantly cause someone to stumble. Jesus Christ solemnly warned about the danger of offending a child and causing them to stumble. Listen closely. Whether it's robbing them of their innocence, whether it's telling them they are no good, folks, you may think it, but don't ever tell a child that they're worthless. Don't ever tell a child that they'll never amount to anything. Don't ever tell a child that they're no good. You Sometimes that's a mean. You can't help but think it, but don't ever say it to them. Don't ever say it to them. What, what, robbing them of the innocence, telling them they're no good, or robbing them of their faith in God, how fearful that punishment will be according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus mentioned hands, and he mentions feet, and he mentions eyes. They were, these were considered valuable parts of the body of mankind because to lose a hand or a foot or eye would greatly hinder a person's quality of life. You can go on living, but it, you're hindered. Someone said it this way, hands defi- typify the deeds of man. What are we doing with our hands? If our hands offend I, if your hands offend you, cut them off. Typify the deeds of man. The eyes, the, the feet typify the direction of man. Where is our feet taking us? If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. Cut it off. I didn't know these verses when I first got saved. My dad owned a tavern in Clarkton, so I'd go down there and, and help him close the doors, you know, and I was a Christian. I didn't. I stopped drinking the night that I got saved in 1972, but my dad's still on that tavern, so I'd go in there, and I loved my dad, and I'd sweep the floor. But it took me several months, but I got a conviction about going to that place. I think I read somewhere where the Bible says, look not on the wine when to give its color in the cup. And raise itself upright. You know, it, it's this terrible thing. And so my dad, uh, my dad, I told him, I said, Dad, I can't come in here anymore. I'm, I'm afraid that I'll offend people. What if I walk out of here? He said, but Michael, you don't drink. I said, I know, but what if I walk out of here and trip over my shoelace, you know, and stumble? And they'll say, yeah, oh, my crib. And he said he's a Christian, but he's walking out of that tavern. Well, so I quit going to the tavern about a, almost a year after I got saved. But God's forgiven me for that. Amen. I hope you will. The Hands typify the deeds of man. Feet typify the direction of man. If thy foot offend thee, cut off. And the eyes typify the desires of man. What are we looking at? If thine eye offends thee, pluck it out. I can't even, I can't even imagine that. If your eye offends you, pluck it out, said Jesus. Folks, no, there's no way to dilute these words and these phrases and these sentences about this awful place called hell. Neither would I. There's just, there's just no way to simplify it. Warning after warning after warning from the lips of our beloved Lord. Oh, the meek and lowly Jesus. Yes. Hi, Kyle. Just saw you. The meek and lowly Jesus. Yes, he was meek and lowly. Yes. But I'll tell you, he was balanced with judgment. His mercy was balanced with judgment. Amen. Amen. He was a balanced man. And so in one place, Jesus called hell a furnace of fire. Think about that. A furnace of fire. I used to live in Ashland, Kentucky, and we'd come by the Kentucky Steel there, and it would be way off the road. The factory was way off the road. But when we'd drive by on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, I could almost feel the flame from that furnace out there at Kentucky Steel, Kentucky Electric Steel it was called. Think about that, folks. He called a furnace of fire. In another place, he called a place of outer darkness. I can't imagine. He called a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I can only think of maybe two or three reasons why people would gnash their teeth, you know, grind their teeth. One would be because you have a, you're nervous and it's just a habit of grinding your teeth. If you grind your teeth, don't hold your hand up, but I could sometimes. And then the other reason will cause maybe get a tooth pulled and you, the teeth get out of line, it'll cause you to grind your teeth. 
And then there's another reason why people gnash their teeth. And this is the one I think he's talking about here. You ever see somebody was so angry they grit their, they ground their teeth, they could, they could bite steel, they could kill somebody? Get the picture. That's what gnash. I think that, uh, this is my opinion, I think that people in hell will be gnashing or grinding their teeth because they're so mad at God because they're in that place. They're blaming him or somebody else that they're there. Let me tell you something. If you reject this message tonight and you're lost and you decide to go to hell, it won't be anybody's fault but your own. Warning after warning after warning has come from this pulpit. Warning after warning on the radio, on TV. Warning after warning after warning about that place called hell. You have no excuse for being, not being saved. The, the, the pastor and the people who preach from this pulpit give a simple invitation and give a simple plan of salvation. It says, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, wow, little ones. It's easier for a little one to be saved than an older one. Amen, Amen. a whole lot easier. Yes. Little ones just believe what you tell them. If you can get a little one in Sunday school and church and, and children's church and teach them about the Lord, tell them that they're a sinner and they, they realize that, tell them that Jesus is real, they believe it. Amen. Then if you tell them a lie, they'll believe a lie too. And they'll be damned. Tell them the truth, tell them the truth. Think about this. Uh, I want you to look at the last verse in the book of Isaiah. If you know it has 66 chapters, then you know that's where we're going. The very last verse. You see, folks, Jesus did not have a copy of the New Testament. In fact, none of the books of the New Testament were written before Jesus died on the cross. He never saw a copy of the New Testament. All of his preaching were based out of the Old Testament. Notice what it says in Isaiah 66, 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. That's where he got his sermons. He got them from God, and he got them from God's word from that Old Testament. And so hell is an everlasting place. Hell's not prepared for mankind. And I said that over and over again. It's not prepared for man. It's prepared for the devil and his angels because they rejected God. But folks, people make a choice about going to hell. Now I've read this and I, I, I think it's true, but it comes from the internet and so you make up your own mind about it. But think about this. Jerusalem had an ancient garbage dump, a place Jesus used to point to as a vivid image of what hell was sort of like. The Jewish people often associated the Valley of Hinnom, and that valley goes around, not all the way around Jerusalem, but it goes around the south side of Jerusalem, I believe. The, the, Jesus associated the Valley of Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M, with spiritual death. This dump was on the south side of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament times, children had been sacrificed to idols there. I'll give you a reference, and you can write it down. 2 Kings 23.10. Look that up when you get home. 2 Kings 23.10. Or you that holds your phones in your hand, you might do it right now, I don't know. 2 Kings 23.10 In Jesus' day it was a place of burning with constant fires to consume the waste that was thrown there. The material burned there was everything from household trash to animal carcasses to even convicted criminals. If you look up Jeremiah 7 verses 31 through 33, that will give you a hint about what was going on back in, the, back in that day when they were offering up sacrifices the children to fire the Molech. It was around the valley. Of the Valley of Hinnom. Worm there refers to a maggot. We know what worms are. The maggot that eats dead flesh. Uh, uh. Worm refers to a maggot. 
The fact that it does not die where the worm doth not, that suggests a different meaning. I'm not all sure about this one, but I'll give you an opinion here. It, 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 both the verses in Isaiah 64, 6624 and Jeremiah and 17 say the worm, that may mean the unbeliever brought with them into death. In other words, a conscience. Will there be conscience in hell? The rich man was conscious in hell. He knew Lazarus. He knew he was there. He knew he had five brothers that was going to come and follow him to hell. So there's a conscience. It may be the, the shame. Will there be shame in hell? Uh-huh. Will there be regrets in hell? Yes. So can you imagine a worm, not a, not a wiggly worm, but can you imagine in hell, going to hell, and having that regret, and having that shame, and having that conscience gnawing at you, day and night and day and night for eternity? I cannot imagine that. I cannot imagine that. I read in the Bible and I believe it. I believe it. I don't fully understand it, but, I, but my imagination just won't let me run that far. Taking at face value, this text is the most horrific description of what hell is like. The thought of eternal torment like maggots eating away at rotten corpse is really a horrible, horrible thought. Folks, hell is so awful that Jesus, speaking figuratively, said it's better to cut your hands off, to cut your feet off, and to pluck out your eyes than to go to hell. Wow, what vivid language our Lord used. The existing place, the enlarged place, and then the everlasting place. I'm winding it down. Here it is tonight, folks. Many times now, last words of people who are dying are important. Some say that dying people don't lie. So here's some last famous words of some saints of God. John Wesley, co-founder of the Methodist Church, his last words were this. The best of all is... God is with us. I like that. He began singing the hymn, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. Then he went out into eternity to be with the Lord. Amen. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this, Our God is the God from whom cometh salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. Amen. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me, John West, or Martin Luther. Missionary William Carey said this, You've been speaking about William Carey. When I'm gone, say nothing about William Carey. Speak only about William Carey's Savior. That's his words. That's the last words he ever spoke. Evangelist D.L. Moody, I like this one. Dying with his family by his side. This is what he said. He looked up and he said, Earth recedes and heaven opens before me. Moody had a son named Will, Will Moody, and Will assumed that his father was dreaming. And Moody said, No, son, this is no dream. It's beautiful and like a trance. If this is death, it's sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me. And I must go. He died a brief time later. What a way to go. What a way to go. Now some last words of some lost sinners. Listen carefully. Thomas Paine's last words is this. I would give worlds if I had them, if the age of reason had never been published. Oh Lord, help me. Christ, help me. It is hell to be left alone. Can you imagine going out in eternity like that? Charles, King Charles the Ninth of France, last words. What blood, what murderers, what evil counsels have I followed? I'm lost. I see it well. And he died. Sir Thomas Scott, Chancellor of England. Until this moment I thought there was neither God nor hell. Now I know and feel that they are both. And I'm doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. Think about those words that these men have said, these, these men, these atheists, and then the most famous one I'll say for last, 
Voltaire, the famous atheist, this is what he said. I have swallowed nothing but smoke. I have intoxicated myself with incense that turned my head. I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. His bedside nurse said this. She said, for all the wealth in Europe, I would not watch another unbeliever die. He cried all night for forgiveness. But folks, he had crossed the line of no return. Folks, listen, if you are here unsaved tonight, don't cross the line of no return. Don't cross the line of no return. Hell is an existing place. It's real. It's not a figment. It's not a fable and not a figment of man's imagination. It's not a fable. It's real. Hell is an enlarged place. It just keeps growing because people are determined that they're not going to let Christ reign over them. And then hell is an everlasting place forever and forever and forever. Let's pray. Our Father, your word is real. Hell is real. Oh God, help us. Help us who are believers here tonight to realize that we've got family that's headed there. We've got friends and neighbors that are headed there. God, have mercy on our, our wee little witness, dear God. Do a work in each of our hearts tonight, dear Lord. The congregation seem to be have listened well. If there's any one soul, more than one soul, one religious church member tonight that's trying to hang on to a profession without possession, trying to hang on good works or good deeds that'll just send them to a hotter hell. Oh God, let them come and fall at this altar and cry out, what must I do to be saved? Heads bowed and eyes are closed. Come and we'll begin the invitation, brother.